Hello everyone, welcome to Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast. Hello. Scott and Claudia join as always my good friend and goals, Paul Brown, and we're we're back with In Your Gaff Six Rage in the Cage. <laughs> Three guesses to what the main event is. <laughs> uh, this is the In Your House at two. Is it an arm wrestling contest? No. Very close, Paul. Not very close. <laughs> this is the In Your House that took place in February of 1996. This is basically the uh, the stopgap pay-per-view between WrestleMania and uh, the Royal Rumble in WrestleMania. I believe, actually, this yep. may be the first time that they do something like this, like a pay-per-view between, the, the, uh, between Rumble and Mania, because... They didn't start doing like monthly pay-per-views until they introduced In Your House, which is the year before this. And so it's the first time yeah. they've had an actual pay-per-view in between. You know, in the past, they'd have had, like back in the Hogan days, they'd have like a, a NBC special or a Saturday night's main event to kind of link you between the or two. Or maybe a, a special event somewhere. Mm-hmm, something like that. You know, like in the way of like this Tuesday in Texas or some kind of thing like that. Yeah, because like... The uh, the big event where like Hogan and Macho finally come to blows and they set up their match that comes as a result of a fallout of a, a Saturday night's main event uh, where they both yeah. teamed up and then Hogan has to carry Elizabeth to the back and Macho Man gets all angry about it and stuff like that. Yeah, but, all, all crazy. Yeah, which uh, if you've seen certain documentaries like the the Dark Side of the Ring about Macho Man, Liz is very much who Macho Man was in real life. <laughs> yeah, he was he was a crazy nut. Mm-hmm. And so this is probably the first time they've actually done a pay-per-view in between, and uh, which is kind of the norm. And, you know, we don't talk a lot about modern wrestling. We've been sticking to kind of the older wrestling with this series and the, the front of all uh, series. But we were talking actually before us, given, talking of the Royal Rumble, we were actually talking about the Royal Rumble this year. And uh, I think we both had pretty favourable things to say. I would say so. I, I would, there was very little of it that I was bored with, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I said that I thought it was one of the better like overall cards for a Rumble pay-per-view, you yeah. know. Maybe excluding the pre-show match, but, you know, it's a pre-show. But, you know, overall the card well, I think was fairly strong. The Rumbles delivered what they had to. Yeah. Yeah, I did, I did notice the one thing that was people questioned a little as well, though. Which was? Well, someone posted a picture on Facebook of uh, Bianca Belair's feet near the end of the rumble, mm-hmm. and it looked like her. It definitely looked like both her feet were touching the mat. You know, yeah, uh, it looked like it, but I think they're probably going to ignore that. You know, I think it's going to show that people are posting yeah. that because it's kind of taken away from that from her kind of what's meant to be her moment. No, it was a very, it was a very cool moment for her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like very a lot. Cool. A lot of people compared to kind of that, and I was as well to like the when Taker and Michaels got have like a little bit of a mini match at the end of like the 2007 Rumble where they gave her and Rhea Ripley time at the end because uh, they were like the the two of the favourites going into it, and then they had a wee match, and then I like yeah. the the end sequence of the kind of you're up the clothesline, and then she ducks the clothesline, and then the third time Bianca gets her over the top rope. Yeah, uh, no, I, I thought it was very cool, and I love the fact that I've seen some classic. Wrestlers going back in that women's rumble. Mm-hmm, yeah, you gotta get like uh, Victoria came back. I'd, Victoria was in it. Mm-hmm. I love you know? that she came back. 
Uh, Alicia Fox came back and randomly won the the twenty four seven title during the match. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I seen that. I I said that I was watching that with a couple of guys uh, from Rogue Pains. We did a little bit of escape call and we we're watching it together, kind of you know, reach down and like get some sort of an attitude of like people getting to watch wrestling together, which we don't get to do often. But I said as a joke, I yeah. wish that like you know, she had the two. We had one half of the women's tag champs in there, Shayna Baszler, and I said I wish that. She won the title, and then Archer rolled her up, and also Archer being, also maybe a bit crazy and a bit simple as part of his character. Uh, I like to see like Archer thinks he's won the women's tag titles, and the referees had to explain to him that that's not how it works. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I must say, I was just watching. Uh, you know, how we have certain Royal Rumbles in full on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I was sitting watching Rumble two thousand twelve. Yeah. I must say, like, see, considering now, like, the Triarchus character nowadays. Yeah. You forget just how good he is in the ring. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it like when we did Warren Battery Rich of like you know the only actual recognised African American like NWA champion, and obviously you got to think he's a had to be of a certain ability to be given that honour and everything. And so yeah. people do forget, but he's found this kind of role for himself. And, you know, yeah, I don't think he's like complaining. Like, crash and, like, he legit, I think, because of all the times he's held that 24 7 title, has, like, more title reigns like, of, of a single title than anybody in history. I think he's even surpassed Raven, who had the most hardcore title reigns. Jeez. So that's that's how much he's been. He's, I know some people are getting sick of it, but, you know, it's a, it's an interesting stat for our drift take and a carry. From selling his career, that's that that probably won't be broken by anybody else. Right. Yeah. Uh, talk about like surprises and returns. I was very happy with a lot of the returns in the men's rumble. You know, you had Carlito come back. Obviously. Yeah, I was. He was sizing. I, I made a joke because obviously he can't spit the apple in anyone's face because of COVID. So I said they should change yeah. his uh, catchphrase to "I don't spit in the face of people who don't want to get COVID." <laughs> <laughs> You had uh, the hurricane. Yeah, it was size, man. Yeah, you had the hurricane trying to recreate his two thousand and uh, two rumble spot with the double choke slam. He tried it to like Biggie and Lashley, and then they threw him out. He was so fat. <laughs> ah, well, he's like, is he not like forty though? I know, but god damn, man, he was so out of shape. <laughs> uh, you had Kane coming back, and I, I popped for that, and like. Legit, me and a couple of guys from Rogue Pines did a, a fantasy booking of the, the Rumble, and I did as a joke. I put Kane in my men's Rumble. Like, he's back 20 years on from when he set the record. He's back to break it again. And then when his music yeah. hit, I'm like, oh, for, for fuck, he's actually here. Do you know what? I was watching it myself, and I went and thought to myself, Scott will be happy with that one. I, I was. I was very happy. Legit, like, this is our group chat. Everybody's saying, like, that's Scott's Rumble made now, and you're damn fucking right it is. Yeah. And I think he, Kane, you know he was looking good. I think Kane has like the record for the overall like rumble eliminations across all his appearances, and now he's added yeah. two more to his overall record, so he managed to keep on to that record for now. How did he eliminate Ziggler and who? Oh, there was one more I can't even remember, but you had uh, Christian also come back at number. Yeah, like, yeah, that was cool. Was it like I like I try to keep my my reactions kind of subdued because uh, one or two of the guys on the Skype call were a bit behind, like a couple of sides behind or yeah. something. And then, like, so I was kind of getting my actions, like, subdued until they'd seen it. But, like, shit, when Christian music, I let it, let it, let it, 
Like, because he was like the last person I expected. I knew Edge was back, but I didn't think Christian was going to come back. Yeah, oh, that was cool. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he and Edge and got to be down to the, like, the final four. Yeah, I think it was cool and all, because apparently Christian didn't let anybody know that he was coming back for it, not even Edge. Mm. And uh, So when he came out, you seen the look on Edge's face, he was like, yes, man. And he's apparently been cleared. He, he may, that may not be the only time we see him in a ring. And a lot of people have pointed out that his actual last match before he went, he earned an Intercontinental title shot against the then champion yeah. Big E. And Big E's the Intercontinental champion now. So now also everyone tries like, give us this match that we never got. Yeah, that'd be cool. It would be, you know. You know, they're doing Mania over two nights again. I wouldn't mind seeing that one of the nights of WrestleMania. That's a I might still maybe get some people you know, interested. Do you know if Edge gets to WrestleMania legit cool and he actually wins a belt, do you know I, I think I will mark the fuck out if Edge actually wins the belt back that he never technically lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like he's even said like I'm not coming back as a part timer. I'm I want to be here, especially on the road. To, if I'm going to be in a main WrestleMania program, I'm going to be here regularly, which is good. And like that's really cool. And unlike the difference between him winning it and like when a part time like say when Triple H won it in twenty sixteen or Batista won it, the difference I think there yeah. with Edge is that he didn't leave wrestling because he wanted to. He was forced to. And now he's back to finish his on his own terms. And you know, yeah, I think that's really cool. And he's been going to each of the brands teasing which champion he might face, and the uh, speculation is that the champion will end up being him versus Roman, which is a very interesting. That'll be something. And like, and I thought it's especially interesting because Paul Heyman uh, has been said to he's got like say over the creative of anybody he manages. So he had obviously say over Brock's creative, and now by extension he'll probably have say over Roman's creative. <laughs> And so an Edge yes. Roman program with Paul Heyman's kind of influence, I think, is worth getting excited about. And I think part oh, of it definitely. is, I think part of it is a, it's a kind of idea of like who's the best, like with the Spears, because I think that was what they wanted with Roman versus Goldberg, but they couldn't get that. Yeah. And, uh, I, def- I don't think that would have been very good. Hmm. I think the main issue is I actually think Roman has a far better spear than Edge, to be fair. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I kinda, I'm kind of glad it's not Edge versus Drew because I think one of them would have had to have been a heel and I don't really want to boo either of them whereas nah. whereas uh, Roman's a Edge very good heel, heel he, is, he is a very good heel but I think given the story of the comeback the want well, I keep my face and Roman right now is doing some of his best work as a heel and yeah yes also there's a small part the I mean, heel even, persona looks so much better for him than the face persona mm-hmm. and even though Edge is like back and he's looking good, and uh, he he did that bump off like the his bike before he came out, and he, he said he felt no pain in his neck, which kind of made him think I could come back maybe to wrestling. I'd still be very concerned yeah. at the possibility of seeing Edge take a claymore because I'd just be too worried something would go wrong. <laughs> it's just because well, they, you don't think something could go wrong if he takes one of Roman's spears. Well, no, but I think he he, he given that he's somebody who's used a spear, he knows how to take the bump from a spear. You'd think. That's probably. And but like the Claymore, even though obviously Drew probably like knows how to do it safely, but this is the how impactful it always tends to look. It would just and forget that for a second. I'd be just too concerned for Edge's safety. Yeah, considering how like Drew delivers it as well. Uh huh. Like with a big running 
punt, basically. We will get to In Your House eventually, but I, I do have a couple of points I want to make about like current product because like end of last year, I said like I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like it's getting fucking boring. And I don't want to talk about it, but you know, but, like the one thing that was good was during like Roman and now. Um, it's a built to WrestleMania, so we may talk about it every now and then again because this is where the product starts yeah. to get interesting again. And on another note, I watched the Raw after the Rumble. Mm-hmm. A slap match between Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss. Uh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh God! Spoiler apologies, man. Go, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Oh no, it was so good <laughs> because like Nikki Cross came out right and Alexa came out. You know how Alexa looks now, like crazy little mm-hmm. playground Alexa, right? She came out and she just kept smiling at Nikki Cross and occasionally like having a bit of a fight with her, but then just smiling. And then the camera cut away, it cut back, and she was the goddess Alexa Bliss. Mm-hmm. And she was fucking crying and going, oh, Nikki, help me, help me, help me, Nikki. And she was crying and freaking out. Mm-hmm. And then she morphed back into, like, smiling psycho playground Alexa Bliss. Mm-hmm. And Nikki Cross was like, what the fuck? You're messing with me, what the fuck? <laughs> so she went and gave her a bit of a kitten. Mm-hmm. And then it morphed again and she was, like, fucked up, like, being Alexa Bliss, you know? Yeah, see... She's really doing a she good job. She went on the attack and got Nikki Cross in position for the sister Abigail. But then she did something unique with the thing. She went and did the mad grin and sort of kissed her, kissed the rain horn, and then she went and sort of. It was almost like a sort of reverse face plant, sister Abigail kind of thing. It was really quite cool. You see, I'm very intrigued about Alexa. Because like she's managed to keep this like whole like spooky like essence of the fiend with the kind of changes in character. Because like you've got like playground Alexa, and then there's the one where she was all in black when she had that match with Asuka. Kind of like the idea of like when Bray goes from like Mister Rogers sweater wearing Bray to yeah. the fiend, and like you know, I think like it creates more intrigue because like uh, you know I think when's the fiend gonna come back? You know I think he's gonna have a match at Mania because word is that he and Brandy were may have another match. Potentially another Firefly Funhouse match at the Rumble, and yeah. it's been pushed back to WrestleMania, which I'm, I'd be fine with because the last Funhouse match we had was very entertaining. So I want to see what it was basically a roast of, of John Cena. So I want to see what what Bray brings up from Randy's past. Mm. You know, there was those stories of him when he's younger days shitting in people's bags. Yeah, <laughs> but. I like the idea, like, also when you said, like, she comes out and she comes, like, a, like, regular Alexa and she's, like, help me, like, it's the idea of the Fiend's influence, because, like, she seems to be, like, connected to me, like, she wants to be with him, but then when she's, like, normal, like, she's in, like, is she being manipulated against her will by the Fiend? Is she a willing participant here? Like, you know, is she being kidnapped by the Fiend? just manipulating other people by letting them think that? You know, there's a, I actually would, like, see some sort of, like, tag team thing, like, maybe... You team out Nikki Cross up with Randy Orton, you do kind of a mixed tag version of the Firefly Funhouse against Alexa yeah, and Bray. You know, there's so many ways this could go. I'm just, I'm eagerly waiting for when the Fiend 
one yeah, thing. You're, you're spitballing it here, but you know, I know what you mean. It's like uh, there's so many ways it could go, you know. Uh, I hope they keep away from the pyro aspect of this feud because you know, had Randy coming out wearing that mask and they took it off, and I joked that I didn't. I stole the joke from someone else, but it looked like he just rubbed some jam on his face when he said, "I have first degree burns on my face," and then he shows up at the rumble. He shows up at the rumble like, "Oh, that cleared up, didn't it?" Fine. Oh yeah. He, he, he used some topical cream. I was going to say, he used some aloe vera. That cleared up nicely, didn't it? Aye. <laughs> yeah. The cream, you know? <laughs> oh, it's a miracle. But we come a bit edge. Uh, some people say the internet has too much time at hand, and it does in a way, but this is an interesting fact. Somebody uh, pointed out that the date uh, this year's rumble was also the same date in January where the 2010 rumble was, and also the edge won that as well. And uh, at least, I think it's the 11th of April or something like that. Like, what, I can't remember the exact date of Night 2 of WrestleMania, but that date is the exact same date where in 2011 he had to relinquish the, t- the title that he never lost, yeah. and now he's going to potentially be main eventing for a title he'd never lost. And that's the idea. Like, what, how intrigued to what they're going to do? Are they going to have him the successful comeback and then he carries the title for a couple months and then puts someone else over? Or does he help cement the bastard Roman uh, as the top heel of the company by having Roman win? And uh, the best thing I've heard about this is somebody asked, why does he go after the Universal title? He's never, Universal title never existed when he was around. And uh, the best answer to that I heard was, well, he held the World Heavyweight title more often than the WWE title, and that was a secondary belt. And so the Universal title is basically a replacement for the World Heavyweight title nowadays. So that's why he's choose, he may choose that title. Which is a fair assessment, but I think the WWE and whatever secondary belt they have, as I've said before, it always depends who is holding it. Uh, that yeah. in terms of what WWE, like how WWE perceives it, like when like Brock was Universal Champion, it was more like got more attention. Whereas when somebody big like Randy Orton or say holds the WWE title, or, like when Triple H was World Heavyweight Champion, that was more important. Or when John Cena's WWE champion, or like Roman and Drew are both big stars, but to me, Roman just slightly feels like a bigger deal than Drew, mainly because of just how good his his heel work is. Not that Drew isn't doing good work, but I think it's more even now between the two world champions. Than I think it's ever been. Yeah, maybe since maybe since Batista and John Cena back in the day. Maybe. Which is which just goes to show you just how. This how bad it's been. To, how difficult it's been having two world champions all these years. Yeah, hasn't been. It hasn't always been the best or the most well flown thing. Also, like the idea of Edge turning up on NXT was a good boost for them. But he actually gives you. There is talk that they they are considering given having Finn Balor defending NXT title as part of WrestleMania because it's unlikely that they'll have a takeover that weekend. And. Mm. And also, given the fact that Charlotte fought for the NXT Women's title last year, actually, it makes you think that Edge could choose that title. Unlike, you know, back in the day when they said, oh, the World Women could challenge for the World Heavyweight WWE or ECW title. And you're always like, he's not going to go for the ECW title. Come on, don't catch yourself. <laughs> like, you had that, that oh, time in 2007 where you had John Cena, WWE champion, Bobby Lashley, ECW champion, and uh, Batista was world champion. You had Undertaker kind of staring at each of them, trying to choose, and like, you knew he wasn't going to go for Bobby Lashley. Yeah. But 
I think we've talked a lot about it in the more important, more so than we have in a while, but like I said, we'd, we'd tune back in when we had something like positive to say about it. We did say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it's time we go into In Your House. This is what people came for. You know, they've they've waited a, a good 20 minutes to, to hear our thoughts, and I think it's best we get into it. Yeah. Alrighty, as usual, I've got my notes, I've got my background information about the show. We have it's in your house six rage in the cage february 18th 1996 from the louisville gardens in louisville kentucky a very noteworthy city in the world of wrestling most notably for WWE, louisville kentucky would be the base for ovw where obviously such luminaries as john cena batista randy are all in the same class brock lesnar shelton benjamin a lot of people in the the early 2000s before the shift to like development was like fcw and now nxt yeah. Yeah, weren't sitting there. Uh, five five thousand five hundred fans that have got in this uh, Louisville Gardens, and I've looked up the capacity is somewhere in the region of six thousand. So, you know, pretty much again your capacity, which seems to be a trend for uh, these in your house shows. Yeah. Uh, I'll quickly run you through what everyone here what happened at the Rumble. Uh, at the Royal Rumble, they introduced the free for alls, which is kind of the precursor to the pre shows as we know them now. And yeah. on the first ever free-for-all, yeah, Duke the Dumpster Jose challenging uh, Triple H. The idea was the loser would become number one in the Rumble and the winner would get the number 30 spot. Triple H got himself disqualified. And so Duke the Dumpster Jose got the number 30 spot. And, he, and so and he lot, should... And a lot of good that done him. I was going to say, this should be using that. But when people moan like, that the number 30 entering the Rumble nowadays is used underwhelming, take them back here like... It's not a new trend. No. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So that happened. Uh, Duke Johnson got number 30. He didn't do him any good. Uh, Triple H did actually last quite a while in the Rumble's number one. I think he eventually got eliminated by Sean in the Rumble. Yeah, on the main show, yeah. Jeff Jarrett getting DQ'd in his match against Ahmed Johnson. And uh, Jeff Jarrett would pretty much be gone right around about this time. So, you know, we're not going to see him again. So that big, long segment... No. A big long segment we had to sit through in your house five was really worth it. Oh, totally, totally. We had a couple of title matches. We had the smoking guns rotating over the body donnas. Uh, we had the one, two, three kid getting involved in Razor Ramon's type icy title match against Goldust. Uh, that would also lead into a match that we've got on this show. But Razor Ramon would lose. I was the- happy about him getting involved in that match. I was happy Goldust won the title. Yeah, yeah, Goldust won, I think, the first of four Intercontinental title reigns that Goldust would have. Goldust isn't wrestling on this card. He does make an appearance, but he isn't wrestling. Oh, he is actually in one of the post-show dark matches, but I'll mention them in a bit. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Shawn Michaels winning uh, the Royal Rumble, the second man to win back-to-back Rumbles uh, after Hulk Hogan in 1991. Uh, What's noteworthy about the the commentary team for him was that Mr. Perfect... Uh, makes a return, he does the commentary for the Rumble alongside Vince because Gerald Lawler is in the Rumble match and he hides under the ring for a good chunk of the match, which keeps him in, involved until Shawn Michaels, I think it is, that catches him and throws him back into the ring. Sean <laughs> entered at number 18. He, he had the most eliminations in the match with eight, and his last elimination was Diesel. Uh, I believe like, the final... Had the, had the loudest pop of any of the entrants too. Mm-hmm, yeah, he, he his was one of the ones. This is one of the years where it's. I think both the rumbles that Sean won were the most obvious rumbles in history. That he knew he was going to win. Yeah, yeah, like maybe ninety five more so than uh, 
in '96, but like, because especially I mentioned, like the weeks leading up to it, they had this like mystery, like is Sean going to be able to come back to the ring after the whole concussion angle with Owen, and then they did the yeah. whole like showing his recovery and his road to the Rumble. So you know they laid it on pretty thick, but the final I talk about how some teams in the Rumble they have like a bit of a mini match, but they ended the Rumble pretty quickly when they got to the final two because you have like Diesel eliminates Kama on one side. Sean limits the bulldog, and then before, just as Diesel turns around, he gets super kicked and goes over, and then that's how the rumble ends. Michaels wins. Uh, also, some noteworthy things about this rumble is that the rumble match would see the last appearance of Mabel in the WWF for two years until he returned for a one-off match with Ken Shamrock in '98 as a kind of, you know, rumble, King of the Ring winners against each other, and then he would return once again yeah. at the 1999 Rumble, where that's where he'd be kidnapped by the Undertaker in the Ministry and begin his new run as Viscera. Yeah, which was quite good, I thought. Hmm. Yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't injure as many people as Viscera. No. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, weirdly, as Big Daddy V and Mabel, he don't look so heavy as, like, and you know he's a big guy, he's Viscera, but he doesn't look as big compared to those other two personas. Maybe it's the big black coat, you know, they say black is slimming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and maybe... You know, but even black has its limits, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. But, this is also, but he looked cool. Yeah. But this is also the WAF debut of Vader, which is a big deal at the time. Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, because Vader, three-time WCW champion, big deal in Japan. I think people like GR and Jim Cornette were big advocates of getting him in to the company. Uh, yeah. Also, Jim Cornette famously talked about in a shooting interview how Vince wanted to kind of market Vader as like their own and not use the Vader name. They wanted to call him the Mastodon, and a lot of people mm. in the company were very much against that. Uh, Vader said himself that he kind of shortly after regretted not going along with it because he resisted again changing his name because he said, like, I think Vince kind of soured on me after that because he, I like, resisted getting the name changed. And then there was another incident that happened that was out of Vader's control, but he said, he thinks those were combinations of why Vince kind of soured on him quite early. Yeah. But, uh, also, Vader would have a big noteworthy angle the night after. The Royal Rumble where he attacked Gorilla Monsoon. And that was, this is a big yeah. deal because well, like people in the years after this would be used to like authority figures getting physical like with Austin and McMahon. But before Gorilla took power, the main authority figure people knew was Jack Tunney, who never did anything physical. And so a wrestler attacking an authority figure was seen as a shocking thing. So Vader gets then KV suspended, which in reality Vader was actually in desperate need of shoulder surgery. And so yeah. this was like used to write him off so he could go to surgery, but this is the other thing that Vader thinks McMahon held against him and that he thought Vader would be back for WrestleMania, where he wanted to do Vader versus Yoko. And like... Yeah. Uh, Vader said, like, I need more time than that to recover. I might not be back till like, sometime in the summer to, for it to fully heal. And apparently Vince was quite angry that he wouldn't be back for the match that he wanted. And so, obviously, those got to... I mean, there was a point where he was meant to win the title, so Vince must have let up at some point. But I think, in Vader's mind, these were kind of, like, used against him very early on in his WF run. Didn't he fall foul of Shawn Michaels as well? Yeah, I think the main reason why he didn't end up winning the title was more so because of Shawn than, than Evans. Because also Shawn complains about Vader's style to Vince. Vince falsely values Shawn more than Vader. And so also yeah. Shawn gets his way. 
as Sean did back then. As he did, yeah. Which obviously, again, further is what, like, obviously, if Jim Cornette in the past has, like, said, like, oh, yeah, whatever about Sean, like, being a better guy now, but it doesn't change how much of a dick you were back in, back then. And he often mentions, like, how much of a dick he was to people like Vader, who's also a friend of him, and also, I'll say, the build to resume where we get Jose Lothario introduced as a character, and Sean's, like, real life trainer who apparently Jean was a bit of a dick to as well. Mm. Yeah, apparently he was. It wasn't very nice to be cozy. Uh, no, he was not a man until he found Jeebus. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, talking about the, the role of prison, currently the role is being by acting president Roddy Roddy Piper, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who has come back to the company for a brief spell. Uh, also, he won't be around for long. By the end of the year, he'll be off in WCW, as most like 80 yeah. stars from the WF would be. But he's in his acting present. We'll see him later on in the night. Something interesting about this Royal Rumble is that it doesn't main event the show. And I don't know what you think, but I am not a fan of the Royal, a Royal Rumble match not main eventing the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Are you not? Uh-uh. What, what are your thoughts on this? Well... I'm sort of in the same camp as you. I prefer to get the title. It was a title match, right? Mm-hmm. I like to get the title match out of the way because you get the title match out of the way, you get your champion going into WrestleMania, and then all the focus is on who is going to win the Rumble, mm-hmm. as it should be at Royal Rumble event, you know? Yeah. It's not the only time this would happen. You know, the first ever Royal Rumble, even though that wasn't a pay-per-view, it, the, that Royal Rumble wasn't the main event of the show because it was still a fairly new concept. And this actually yeah. be the first in three consecutive rumbles where the t- where the rumble isn't the main event because here you've got Brett versus Diesel as the main event and ninety seven the main event's actually gonna be Sean versus Sid and I believe Sean versus Undertaker and ninety eight uh, is the main event of the show and the other two examples I can forget because like the whole build to uh, Rumble ninety seven, the only reason it was in the Alamo Dome is so Sean could have that hometown pop when he beat Sid. Yeah. And also at the end of the uh, so end of the casket match, you saw Kane lighting that casket with the Undertaker on fire, and maybe thought, I know people like Austin now, and we're going to make him win the Rumble, but it's very hard to follow actual murder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Fair enough. If someone's had a better match than you, you have to struggle follow it. It's hard to follow people follow someone when people think a guy's just been murdered. Yeah, kind of. You know, I take some beating. Whereas, what makes it more confusing that Brett versus Diesel may have ended is that it ended in a DQ when the when no it was Brett versus the Undertaker. Sorry, I'm confused because Brett Diesel's on this show. It was Brett versus the Undertaker, and Diesel got involved, which caused a DQ. And so, like, not only do you not put the the match that the show is named after as the main event with the guy, with the guy who everyone wants to win winning it, you have a title match which ends in a DQ. Yeah. It's just baffling to me. We'll move on to In Your House. That's everything about the Rumble. We have Vincent Mann and Jerry King Law on commentary as we are wont to do as at this time. You know, King runs down all, all the faces and how he's going to enjoy seeing them get humiliated during the show. Uh, the, the buy rate is actually quite up from the last In Your House because I mentioned it was, it was around eighty or 90,000 for In Your House. I said that was probably due with it being December and everything. Buy rate is up to 150,000. So it's a bit of a boost you know, on the road to rest. Many people also want to see what's going to happen because this is where the Mania main event is going to be fully cemented. 
But you know, during the summer, the the buyers had to take another dip there near houses. The uh, Jake yeah. Ro- on the free for all, Jake Roberts fights the tanker. Uh, now I don't have the free for all on the network, but apparently you do on your your tape uh, that you watched. I I have the free for all on my tape. Mm-hmm. It sucks, man. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not missing anything. Missing anything? I mean, Jake the Snake looking fat, Tatanka looking kind of slow and fat. You know, Ted DiBiase looking fat. Lots of slow moving around the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of heavy fist blows with Tanka. Lots of slow moving around the ring. Jake the Snake gets the DDT, surprisingly, because he never seems to fucking get it. But he got the DDT, pinned the Tanka, put the Snake on him. Match done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Pish. Oh, well. You know? Not missing anything. Also, there's a spot on the the free throw where Cornette showed up with Vader, demanding that Vader get a match and Vader be reinstated. Uh, yeah. There the, there are three post show uh, dark matches after the cage match main event. I'll list them for you now. We had Ahmed Johnson defeating Isaac Yank of DDS. Uh, the Godwins got a win over the Body Donnas, and the Undertaker got an icy title match against Goldust and uh, won via count out. <laughs> Ah. So there you go. Uh, I'd rather I see Swindle take him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Undertaker like, will challenge for the IC title sometime in mid-96, uh, an, an actual televised match against Goldust, but yeah, it's weird to think... Was a ca- you- that was a casket match. Uh, yeah, I believe so. And like, Undertaker, words Undertaker and Intercontinental Championship don't seem to go together. No. But yeah. that casket match is one of the first... Appearances of mankind attacking Undertaker. Yeah, I think they've had they've had some interaction on TV. This is the first time immediately to interact on pay per view, and that'd be they would they would be mankind would be Undertaker's main rival for uh, for nineteen ninety six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's actually one of his better rivalries, I believe. But we'll get to that when we come to it. What's interesting about this is I think you get the usual intro to the show. Like I enjoy, I put it at the start of the it, from the vault review the. The World Wrestling Federation for over 50 years. Yeah. Revolutionary Force in sports entertainment. I love that. I, don't, I can't tell. I think maybe it's just how dramatic it sounds. I don't know. But yeah. But then we randomly get a footage of Sonny on a beach advising parental discretion despite the fact there is nothing uh, that suits that disclaimer on this entire show. No. Mm. I think it's just when it scripts of Sonny to be on a beach. Yeah, I mean, show that give us this like later in '96, so like a year later when Austin's starting to kick off. Fair enough, but nothing really untoward happens on this show. No, I don't think anyone even bleeds. Not even during the cage match on the show to warrant a parental no. advice. They had to be. They had to be all steamy, be safe, man. Yeah, but so you know, because it's still very much like you know, family friendly, new generation. You know, I mean, fucking Tatanka is still around in 1996. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that. Then we have a very dramatic video package based on what what goes through the minds of a champion and talk about what Bear Army thinking, you know, the current or the desire to hold on to a championship. And that shows these. So what what emotions go through a former champion? Anger, the want to regain what he lost, 
and then it asks, what goes to the mind of a dead man? And so basically, this video pack basically tells you, by the way, here's what's going to happen in the main event. Yeah. Because it talks about Undertaker in the same sentence as Brett and Diesel were in the main event. Undertaker isn't advertised to be on the show. Obviously, he'll be there for the live crowd for that Goldust match. But as far as the paying audience knows, Undertaker isn't on the show. But now you've mentioned him in the same sentence as these two, we just think, ah, oh, maybe Undertaker will get involved. And then he does. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I just... I just... Uh, I just it just seemed to annoy me. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's like, why don't you just point it out to us? Why don't you? You know what I mean? I know. Could you make it any more obvious? But you still end up enjoying it for what it is, you know. Yeah, for what it is, but you have then like there's a weird tone. Obviously, you have the dramatic world wrestling version. You have the weird sunny thing. This video package, and then you have the thing with the in your house logo, right, with the music and that. And, you, and before in the past, we've had the in your house thing coming through the door, climbing up through the window or something like that. And now we have the in your house logo outside the garage door and then getting run over by a car. Yeah. Like who? Who's? I got to think somebody back then was being paid with one of the angels being. What? How do we? What do we do this month for the in your house logo? We run it down with a car. Whoever, whoever's I. Who's going to be paid to come up with these was really stealing a paycheck, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> we get into the actual show. Yeah, there you go. 38 minutes into the show and we're getting to the first match. Yeah. So it's Razor Ramon versus the 1-2-3 kid and the first and thankfully only crybaby match in the WWF. Yeah. What the fuck is that? <laughs> That is what it is, you know. Yeah, see, that is what it is. Yeah, we're, we're, go ahead. This match, like, first of all, Razor comes out his usual self, you know, all with the sparkles, sparkliness and shit. Uh huh. Looking cool. And then one, two, three, kid comes out pushing a fucking baby buggy. Mm hmm. With a Razor Teddy on it. Mm hmm. And then. If you want to describe the match, I'll, I'll let you go for it, you know. You see, I, I think that if you take away the... I think the crybaby thing was an unnecessary stipulation because, like, the match itself, when I actually, like, describe it to you, was a, a really good match, you know, and also like, these two have been teasing, uh, building to this match for a good couple of months, you know, even since, like, November, cause, or actually October, because, mind you, you talked about in years four. They lost that tag title match because of the kids' mistake that led to the tension afterwards. So this has actually been a long run story. They had the tag match last month and Razor got called to the IC title by the kids. So it's a long-running feud at the time. One of their longer ones. And then they had this stipulation, maybe because all oh, the kid's immature or something like that or he's whining about so then that. And also, Jerry Lawler is at his worst during this because he takes this opportunity to make so many crap puns or jokes or like talking about how ugly Razor was as a baby. Like the only one I really remembered was Razor was so ugly as a baby. His dad used to go to the, the zoo and throw rocks at the storks. <laughs> you know that's classic Jerry Lawler comedy, in quotation. Oh, and he's not even got any better as he went. He goes on because mentioned the Rumble. One of the bad things about this year's Rumble 
is that some idiot thought it was a good idea to have Gerald Lawler commentate for the Women's Rumble and say this line, the most pervy grandest statement I've ever heard. It says, Hey Byron, you know how you make this match seem even more enjoyable? Pretend all these women are fighting over you. Ah. Oh, just made my skin crawl when he said that. But, you know, any of the actual match, you know, they do a bit of a recap of the, the feud you have got. Also, the match thick into the Rumble, and then Kid attacked Razor twice on the. On Silver, once whack him in the back of there with a stroller, which I imagine might hurt. And then attack him yeah. again with a guitar. Jeff Jarrett is there as Razor's opponent in those occasions where he's fighting him, so Jeff Jarrett's around, but he, he won't be for much longer. Uh, Vin's last when he sees a side, I believe it's the same somebody's brought of it, with a picture of, of uh, the 1 to 2 kid, but they put a diaper on it. And Vince is his typical, ha, ah, oh, oh, anything can happen in the WF, they'll laugh. Or or his dad laugh, as I call it. But then you've got the kid coming out, as you said, with a bear dress, kind of like Razor, with like the gold jacket on. Uh, well, so kids try to be taking themselves seriously by going to his own and joining the corporation. But then you put him in that situation, yeah, which requires him to come out with a stroller. And also... Credit to Howard Finkel, by the way, the late Howard Finkel, greatest ring announcer of all time. And the reason why is that he is able to explain the rules of this match and still maintain an air of credibility. Well, that's because he was a Fink, man. You know, like he's saying, where the loser will be give, was forced to wear a diaper and be given a bottle. And yet he still gave it an air of even though that's the stupidest thing he should have ever had to read out. Well, you see, he seems like they've been Lillian Garcia or someone else. Yeah. It would have sounded stupid, but because it was a thing. Mm-hmm. No? Can you imagine having a stipulation in like WCW and getting Michael Buffer to do his one of his overly long intros explaining the rules of a crybaby match? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Now no, 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 I want to see that, but moving on to the actual match. See, it's actually quite good. You know, you have Razor. You know, they both start slapping each other. Razor is in control. It's a fallaway slam. Sending... Get to the outside, and also there's a kid's razor's also in control. He's also got, you know, he wants to get payback on the kid for crossing the title and everything else he's done. And then we go to the outside, and Tim White proves himself to be the stupidest referee in history because on the outside they've also got like uh, some baby powder, and Teddy uh, Biasi hands gives the kid a handful of it, and he throws it in Razor's eyes to blind him. And that helps give him advantage. So a drop kick off the top, like there's still a bit of a cloud of of white powder in the air and Tim White is still none the wiser that, that's just what happens to referees in the dub I mean I mean kid given that kid and Scott Hall have the history of you know indulging in the past and the idea of white powder being thrown around you know there's all sorts of jokes to be made there you know I mean they're both do, I mean they're both doing better now so you know you can probably joke about it but like maybe Tim White given obviously the stories of these two on the road like oh well you know, there's white powder, it's probably it's a normal Sunday night for, for Scott and Sean. <laughs> but, but uh, the kid hits a drug kick off the top, you know, after the powder in the eyes. You know, he, he takes control for a good long portion of match, of, except the fact that, you know, the kid, he does the odd bot off the top, like the drop kick and the spin kicks that he usually does. But he does have to also play the role of a heel, which means foregoing his usual, like, exciting offence worth. A very long sleeper hold. And, mm. I, and I do mean a long sleeper hold. Like, Razor is starting to fade, and people are, 
we were really getting behind him and that's something I've noticed. Whenever we do like these mid nineties like reviews and uh Razor is usually in a marquee match. That's something that always never like fails to amaze me is that Razor is always over no matter what. Like he always gets some of the biggest pots, you know. People are always chanting his name throughout the match. Yeah. This guy was over. And I think I'll say now he's 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 on his way out the door in a couple of months. Uh, well, obviously we've reviewed what happened when he came to WCW with Bastion Beach 96 but I think part of this is his frustration that he is one of the more over guys they have in the company and he's still stuck in this kind of mid-card scene like still going after the IC title not getting another shot to go one-on-one for the WAF title and also having to wrestle in something mm-hmm. called a fucking crybaby match no wonder he left yeah I'd leave but so obviously long sleeper hole eventually uh, it's got all my razor one guys get to his feet, dropping the kid across the top rope to kind of like create some separation. Again, it's like Jerry Law's making all these stupid, stupid jokes. Kid hits a, a spin kick. Dubiasi kid strides to the strap the ref to help give uh, the kid Jamie get some more baby power, but this time Razor kicks it in his face. And like, it's not just that there's a clown there, the powder is all over the kid's face. Again, Shot, uh, referee Tim White does not even think of it as suspicious. Uh, Razor picks him up for the razor edge, hits it, uh, goes for the pin, but then pulls him up at the two. It's the second razor edge, kind of finish it. 12 minutes, one second. Uh, before we get to like the post match thing, which is obviously I don't really want to talk that much about, the uh, the stupid stipulation yeah. aside, what did you think of the actual match, Bell to Bell? The match itself was good. Mm-hmm. It wasn't terrible. I enjoyed it. Some decent spots, you know. Hmm. Yeah. Or do is what they try their best. They to make the kids on the heel. Also, so I mean, like not having to do means he couldn't do a lot of the spots he usually did doing his matches. And you know, like having to do the fucking sleep holds and all that. They did their best to make the stipulation work. Also, the baby powder managed to you know be a good like cheating tactic for the heels. Uh, yeah. But obviously, I could have done without that. And, you know, after the match, you got the kid is putting, he's putting a diaper. He's got given a bottle by Razor. Uh, he throws some powder, I think, in DiBiase's face as well. And the kid slowly but surely comes to and then starts throwing a tantrum while struggling to get the diaper <laughs> off in the middle of the ring. Yeah. And I believe Sean Waltman also isn't one isn't long for the WWF either. I think he does pick up an injury shortly after this, and then is soon gone. And then he goes up over to WCW as six. You know, yeah. People, I can't. I can never remember which one is the actual like reason because I hear both stories. In that, uh, some people say, "Oh, it's because he's the sixth member of the NWF. That's why he's called six. But some people say he's actually the seven. And that the real reason he's called yeah. six is because he was called the one, two, three kid, and we had one, two, and three together. You get six. Yeah, yeah. I also think the six member the NWO thing is a better reason because if it's really the one, two, and three make six, it's the stupidest reason for a name I've probably heard. Yeah. Well, that yeah. one sounds more believable, you know. Yeah. So I enjoyed the match for for what it was as an opener. It was all it was a case of like Razor had to like finish his business with a kid to get all back to the IC tail because I think he does have a title match the following night uh, against Goldust. And the plan is to have Goldust versus 
Razor Ramon and Miami Street fight at WrestleMania 12, but that doesn't quite work out, and we are going to be reviewing WrestleMania 12 in a couple of weeks' time. So I'll say more yeah. detail on the soon-to-be be departure of Razor Ramon and uh, Diesel when we get to WrestleMania 12, because Razor's not going to be at WrestleMania 12, but Diesel is, and there are very good reasons for that. More to come. Yeah. But, it was a, like I said, a decent match for what it was. But, you know, you know that format he had with uh, like Razor, be- Razor being the face, he's hot at the start, and then the, he'll, he'll use the dastardly tactic, he's in control for most of it, and then also like, Razor gets a big comeback. I hope, yeah. you enjoy- I hope you enjoyed that format, because two-thirds of this card is that exact format. <laughs> and, I, and I actually enjoyed this more than the last couple of In Your Houses, but that's not to say that it's a perfect show by any means. Oh, no, no. Yeah. We come back to the Superstar line where you've got Sunny there with Ray Rougeau, and uh, Sunny basically implies that she's going to ask she go, uh, she's going to ask Razor Moon what he's up to later on because he's the winner of the match because she's a bit of a whore. Yeah. Uh, and also they show footage much to Sunny Chagrin of uh, Sunny being scared shitless by Jake Bringley Snake to the Superstar line during the free-for-all. Uh, I believe like uh, Jake's new... This isn't Damien. Uh, he's calling the Snake Revelations because he's maybe doing this old board yeah. game thing. You know, he's had three different names for Snake. He had Damien, then he had Lucifer, the kind of the Cobra, who used to with Randy Sadden, and it's the Snake that bit Randy. And then also now he's got this one. Yeah, because he's playing Mr. Born again, Jesus Freak, in this particular time period. And yeah, when he comes to Heroes of Wrestling, he claims that the snake that he's got in that show is called Damien. You know, less said about that show, the better. But next yeah, match. I don't think Jake remembered his own name on that show. Yeah. I'm probably the only person who remembers what the snake, what he called the snake at uh, Heroes of Wrestling. But. What do, you, what do you call it? Yeah, Damien. Ah. But we've got up next, Hunter Hearst as Triple H, taking on Duke the Dumpster, Josie. And the main build for this has also been on like Superstars, where Hunter Hearst the attack Duke the Dumpster, Josie, with his own trash can of all things. And yeah. the most dastardly thing you can do, you know, there are certain things you do to a man, but you do not use his own trash can. No. Interesting side note I noticed about this match. What's that? Well, in between the match that led up to this match, or the attack with the dustbin, mm-hmm. in this match, Duke Drossi's hair has got short. Yeah, well, I think, I think they say that it's Triple H that cut the hair. Oh. Yeah. I don't know why Triple H cares so much about Duke the Dumpster Josie's hair so much that he feels the need to cut it. And then, but then even then, he's like cut it like short. But I don't think he's given it, he's cut it as shortly as it as Duke has here. Yeah. But, so, so this has been building for a couple of months randomly. You know, they had the match at the Rumble Free for All, they got this here. Uh, the, what's the distracting about this match is that. Under her sound, he comes out with a random woman on his arms as he's one to do. And I think this woman was a model or something like that. But Daryl Lawler keeps trying to ask this woman questions on commentary, 
about Hunter and about the match, and like they do a split screen, and she clearly has very little. She's probably just been brought in for this one thing, and so there's very little to actually yeah. offer here. You can you can see it on her face. She's like, "Please stop asking me questions." Yeah, I just want to sit here. Mhm. But again, like I said, uh, if you enjoyed the format of the one, two, three, kid Razor Ramon match, you'll enjoy it even more when it's repeated in this match. Because you've got to do the dumpster rules. You run to the ring. He's furious about what Triple H has done to him. Runs to the ring. He's going all after Triple H. He's doing a spot where you do like the ten punches in the corner. But then Triple H does the thing where he drops just across the the top turnbuckle, and then yeah. this is where he takes control. You know, where he slows down the pace of the match. You know, doing kind of the knees like stomp to the head. It's uh, forward. Josie tries to start some men, but then gets sent flying over the top, and even gets sent into the into the steel steps on the outside. Uh, and then obviously, then the drums Josie starts to come back. It's a really good spine buster. I thought uh, the crowd are very against silent during Hunter's offense, and I think early Hunter assembly like people really struggle to get into him. Maybe because he's a heel, but. There was just something about Triple H that I think he struggled to get off the ground at first, especially before he brought before he brings China in. No, because no, he's just this kind of aristocrat character. Uh, he, there's not really much to him, and you all wonder what how things would have been different if he got that King of the Ring push when he was meant to. I don't know. I think he may have still be. He may have still ended up being the same guy. You know. Mhm. Yeah. I think people may have taken to him a bit after because I think it was mainly to a feud with him and Sean and you know I think him and Sean having matches together would have maybe changed people's opinion on because he and Sean always had good matches whenever they got, were forced to face each other um, yeah so you never know but that's for another time go yeah there are I, th- I say that because like Drew Josie is unfairly like, criticised maybe because He's one of like the examples people use when they talk of like the the new generation style like gimmicks. You no, know, he's a wrestler, but he's also this thing. You no, know, he's a wrestler and a garbage man. You've got people like him, T. L. Hopper. You got Bob Polly with Sparky Plug, the the race car driver, and things like that. Yeah, totally. But you know he does get some support. There are like not the loudest, you know, especially compared to like the Razor Ramon chants we had earlier. But there are some trozy chants when he's like getting worked over. Yeah. You know, and then he starts, like, barely come out as this thing. So, yeah, it's a very impressive where he gets him up into the power slam and then yells, He's gone taking out the trash! And he goes stupidly for his trash can because that would get him disqualified. He throws the, the lid in separately and then throws the trash can in. But then Mike Yoda, you know, tries to take the trash can away and behind his back while he's doing that. Triple H picks up the, the lid of the bin, hits him over the head with it, and Triple H gets desperately win. In nine minutes forty. Yay! <laughs> and there was much rejoice. Yay! <laughs> you have really any thoughts about about this match? I don't know if you're if you're particularly a fan of Duke Drosy. I didn't have anything against Duke Drosy, but you know I didn't have anything really that positive about this match. Mm. Yeah. You know I was being honest for a lot of the matches on this pay per view, and well. We did have spots that were good. 
I was underwhelmed a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it wasn't bad. It just wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Well, like, they like they follow a very similar formula as well as I pointed out. Doesn't really help them because like there's nothing other, like other than obviously the the stupidity of the whole like putting a, a diaper on 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 Walton yeah. after the match and everything there. That was a difference. But if that wasn't there and these matches follow the exact same format that they have, there was nothing to differentiate these two matches. Yeah. Then we have a thing backstage where WF's selling some of their merch. And we go into the build to the next match, which is Yokozuna taking on the British Bulldog. uh, Well, not for anything. It's... Yokozuna taking on the British Bulldog, obviously both men were formerly part of Camp Cornet alongside Owen Hart and there had been tension building for weeks between these two but then there was a tag team match on Rock Hotel where Yokozuna couldn't get back in the ring because he got knocked to the outside and he was too fat to get back up. Uh, I don't say that criticising him, it's just it's a case of how he was presented but he couldn't get back in the ring and also that cost Camp Cornet the win obviously. Cornet is yelling at him and then Yoko finally snaps and turns on uh, Bulldog and Owen and everybody. Uh, something I will say before we get into this, Paul, is something I would recommend is the... I may, Maybe we get it on that uh, Watch Wrestling link I sent you, but there's a thing on the network, a new series called WWE Icons, a new documentary series, and the first episode is about Yokozuna. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really... I've only seen like two-thirds of it, but what I've seen so far is really enjoyable, I think. Mm-hmm. I need to see that. Like, you've even... There's a bit in it where they talk about WrestleMania 9 and the involvement of Hogan at the end, and uh, it's very interesting to see a WWE-produced thing be very open about how much of a bad idea that was. What, to get Hogan involved? Yeah, like having Hogan immediately beat Yokozuna for the title right after he beat Brett for it. Yeah. Like... You had Roman there as a member of Jose Yogo's family saying that was a bad idea. You had Bruce Pritchard there and Brett also talking about it. But then they were, they were all being open about this is a bad idea. And then Hogan and then Hogan was kind of there kind of admitting it's a bad idea. But then also kind of being like, oh, you know, but that's not my fault, brother, and all that. Like, you know, I, I, yeah. maybe, I maybe said something, but I wasn't being serious about it. Like, no, you probably, you probably said, no, give me the bill. That's what you need to do. Mm. Prick. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely prick. Mm-hmm. But we have Yoko here. He gets, he gets an interview with Doc Andrews. They make a big deal of this because before this, Yoko would have someone talk for him, like a Fiji or a, you know, Jim Cornette, and all you would get to say was Shell Bonsai. But he yeah. actually gets to speak as, you know, as himself. And you suddenly, and it's only that you realize, like, hmm, he doesn't seem very Japanese. He's, no, I did not. Because you know, because he, he, he's just speaking as like his, his usual voice, you know, as as Rodney basically, as his real name, and he speaks. Yeah. He's, he's saying like, "Oh, I'm finally able to speak for myself." You know, I did all the work, but Jim Cornette got most of the credit for the last two years, and he says that Owen Hart, the only gold you've ever you've ever gotten in your career was with me, which was actually true. The that time where the two of the WF tag champs was actually the first piece of gold that Owen won. In the WBF. Yeah. Also, Owen would go on to win IC, European, and a couple more tag titles, but at this, the fact it took him this long to get a title 
when he'd been on off and on just like from the early nineties and with the idea of the he was only around for like four more years and so he'd get the old like title here and there. But, you yeah. know, but obviously enough of it you're talking a lot about obviously the treatment of Owen. And then also he says about the bulldog, he said, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and then he just then he, he does the usual yellow bonsai at the end. And again, a weird thing, well, I don't get why they keep insisting on doing this on the in your houses. Bulldog's already in the ring. Bulldog is already in the yeah. ring. And if you can hear Bulldog's music playing for most of Yoko's interview. So he's making his entrance while Yoko's doing the interview. And they can't even be asked to do like a split screen kind of thing. Like one side you got Yoko doing right, the like, interview. Like steel coming in. Yeah, and you see like Bulldog making his entrance and that. Because like, this guy was challenging for the WF title like, at the last thing in your house. Yeah. You know, I said the last two in your houses use chance for the WF title. But like, he gets the entrance of a jobber on this one. Yeah. Like you can't even be arsed on like does it say like, ah, oh, you know what Bulldog looks like. You don't need to see the big muscly steroided Englishman, you know what he looks like. You've seen him. <laughs> uh and Yogo's maybe the good guy, this is the first time in his WF career that he's like, you know, been the good guy uh in his career. And but Vince can't help himself. I think because Yoko's getting around that six hundred pound range at this point. Vince can't help but you know keep getting that wee dig in at how big Yoko is and how much she weighs. Which, mm. which is pretty unfair because you know Vince, even though he's not meant to be, he's maybe the play play guy and a lawless color guy who favors like heels over faces. But like occasionally you hear yeah. Vince. Like say some overly commentary about a face, like also how much he, how much he loves Shawn Michaels when Shawn comes out. Like he's maybe like you know, sticking up through Yoko, but then he keeps slagging him about how fat he is. Aye, that is the thing. That's what Vince did. Mm-hmm. Probably still does. You know, like he said he was like, I don't know, between, he said he was being this and much, he was being this much and that much, depending on how much he had for breakfast today or something like that, and I'm like. Alright, Vince is about below the belt, but I'm called for a minute. Mm. You know, he just, he just couldn't help himself. No. Yeah, you know, goes right after the Bulldog, obviously, you know, using his power advantage, even though, like, Bulldog's a big guy, and uh, Dear Law says that, you know, Bulldog told me he promised that he was going to slam Yoko's in it tonight. And he goes, Bulldog manages to avoid, like, an elbow draw when Reader, when. He manages to avoid an elbow drop when you go goes for it. Uh, Gornet does his usual like, heel manager, gets a cheap shot on Yoko behind the wrist back when Yoko's kind of near the ropes. Uh, Yoko does a splash over in the corner. And he goes for the bonsai, but does a stupid thing where he's near a corner where he could easily use the bonsai, but then drags Bulldog over to, an, over to a different corner for some reason. And uh, so as he goes to start climbing the ropes, that's when Bulldog goes to the outside. But you can tell when Yoko tries to claim that he's really bracing himself to try and claim and not damage the ropes too much because he knows how big he's getting. Yeah. Yeah, like the bigger Yoko gets, the more effort you see him taking and trying to get up the ropes of the bonsai. Yeah, until eventually he has that match where the rope breaks. Uh, was that not... Was that the one we lost on, like, the SummerSlam free for all Or is that... Yeah. Uh, I think it's something different. That's the one way, Austin. Alright. Just want to make sure I was getting my facts right. And I think that's when they just really were like, Yoko, like, lose some weight, mate. 
and that probably led to him like leaving the company. Yeah. But, but I, don't, I don't think he left the company. I think it was more so the company. They tried hard to get him to lose the weight, but he was mostly just putting more weight on. Yeah, like because I think at that point, especially like when he was starting to get to the weight, was that he was a wrestling like. He was getting to a point where like certain states wouldn't ensure him to wrestle because like of his size and they thought like the health risks of a guy his size like doing something as physical as wrestling like that it was like it was too unsafe. So when you're getting to that yeah. stage, that should have been like your final like, warning. Even though say he's getting bigger and bigger and also he has his own issues, but like, when when you're too big to be insured to wrestle, and that's the that's the thing you love doing. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he goes to spilt, so say he follows Bulldog to the outside, throws him into the post, and then goes to try and follow up. Being as again ends up running face first into the post, which kind of gives Bulldog an advantage. Bulldog starts hitting a series of, like clotheslines, but Yoko's like not going down. He's not even taking any effect. He fucking lo- he does he is a very good looking Samoan draw. He launches Bulldog from the air for the Samoan drop, follows up with a belly to belly. But then we get a very cheap DQ. In five minutes and five seconds, when Jim Cornette comes in, hits him with a tennis racket, which he shakes off, doesn't even sell. But before he can do anything to Jim Cornette, Vader comes down, and is it just me? But did Vader keep taking off his mask during this? Yeah, he did. Yeah, that was weird because one shot he'd have the mask on, and then he didn't have it on. And like, did it fall off? To see, is he taking it off? Then some reason putting it back on. I mean, it's not the most. Like, it doesn't cover that much as a mask. I mean, calling it a mask is not even... I don't even think it's even a proper well, word to use. I think it fell off a few times, because you, you remember Vader comes down and we, hand, we handcuff Yokozuna to the rope. <laughs> and, like, by one hand, and we start pummeling him down, gets a DQ, you know? Yeah. But... When at least a good few times Yokozuna starts fighting back and gets a little bit of revenge on both of them but as you say eventually it becomes too much for him and he gets a kicking mm-hmm. yeah and also he gets battered obviously, but he doesn't really fully go down he, he's still handcuffed to the rope bulldog Cornette Raider they're getting their cheap shots in so they still have to lead to that match at Wrestlemania yeah. that they want to have and also all these officials come in and try and lead them back and also I'm going to carry Yoko away but also to mention that Yoko and the lead as part of the build this I think, I think it was before this I, I think for a minute I thought it was in the lead up to Mania but I think it's in the lead up to this that as, fuck I'm trying I'm trying to get my dates made up I think it's in the lead up to Mania I don't know but there's an angle that they do shortly after I'm going to get my dates so, but there's an angle they do as part of Yoko being a face against Camp Cornet where because I, uh, I think Vader's involved in it. Well, they have yeah someone take they had them take out Yoko's leg or his ankle like with a chair round it with like a splash from Vader. But when they carry Vader out, they they had to actually get like some sort of like almost kind of forklift esque thing to carry him out, not an actual stretcher. Like it was some kind of motorized thing to carry him out, yeah. which is a further inclusion of like this is how big you're getting here, and like it's very hard for him as a face to maintain any dignity when. This is the methods they have to use to carry him out of the arena. Mm. So there you go. I mean, is there really yeah, much? Was that a pretty forklift or something. Hmm. 
there's really much to for you to say really about this because I think all of this was is to kind of serve this stock gap to the again planned mania match with Vader. I think so because it it, it says what it needs to say if you know what I mean. Yeah, and uh, I kind of get it why. Says, I kind of get why they. It, they it makes. Sorry, you go. No, I'm just saying it makes its point. You know what I mean. Yoko's a good guy. Vader and Bulldog and owner are all pricks. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the good, the big good guy fighting the odds. Blah 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 blah. And also, you know, Cornette's been the one, you know, kind of doing all the talking and you know, running down Yoko. Also, him getting involved. It implies that at some yeah. point, eventually, when he the heels get their comeuppance, Yoko's might you know, get his hands on like the heel manager and you know, teach him a lesson as well. Uh, so then backstage we have like I think it's a super sterling as well but Goldust is there cutting a promo that I couldn't fucking hear because the audio quality was so bad it was just terrible like I think you can completely hear him talking about Razor and uh, then Vince said that they're having a match the morning on Raw for the title and you know just Goldust yeah. there clutching the Intercontinental title and I think it's still got the weight strap but eventually during his reign he would have it with a bit of a gold strap which would cast his cast yeah. gimmick but you know, Goldust, you know, he was there, he was the IC champion, but this was, the, the sound quality on this was terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really have anything to say about it happening on the show, I thought I should mention it, but... <laughs> <laughs> it was no, a thing. Point to make, man. There was a lot of audio issues in the show overall, I thought. Mm-hmm. But... We move on to what I actually think was match of the night. And no surprise, it involved Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart. Uh, yeah. We have a poem by shaping up the uh, Sean, how Sean never gives up. Not, and it shows obviously him getting the concussion. And, uh, yeah. you know, like, you know Sean, he regained an injury after he getting beat down by several thugs or something like that. Like, trying to make Sean yeah. the, the good guy. Like, oh, how unfair it was that Sean got beat up by those people, even though it was just one guy. Ow. Got drunk and got into a fight he couldn't win. Yeah, well, yeah, conveniently forgetting the fact that it was one guy he got in a fight with. But uh, but they also say that Sean wanted so badly to get his payback on own heart that he put he, he's putting his WF title shot at WrestleMania on the line in this match. Uh, yeah. So obviously Owen comes out and then Sean gets also a big cheer in the crowd. Well, especially I picks like screech from the from the young women in the audience, but. Sean appears, you know, on the roof of the house, of the in your house set, and I just put. Yeah. You may not find this funny, but I find it funny. I said Sean Michaels is clearly a Lionel Richie fan because he's dancing on the ceiling. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also. That was cool. Also, Sean comes swings off the roof with like a rope, and part of me is thinking maybe planting the seeds for his uh, his memorable WrestleMania 12 entrance. Yeah, give it a try out. Potentially, yeah. Uh, so then Sean comes out, you know, it's, it's not exactly like the, uh, the the two matches I said at the start, but there are elements of it, but these two actually make you a good job to not fall in the same trap that some of the other matches had in this show. Yeah, this was a pretty solid match, this one. Yeah, and that when I when I seen, I look ahead to what the card's going to be for, like, particularly in your houses, and when I seen these two had a match, I was very much looking forward to, you know, because again, the fact he was given proper time on like Owen's four-minute match against Diesel, the previous in your house. Yeah. But 
we have Sean kind of being quite arrogant. He's going around the uh, the crowd. He's his music's bloody low, but he's taking that long. You know, all the, all the young fans. He's shaking, he's clapping hands with everybody. Like, ah, Sean Michaels, one of the most popular guys. Look at Sean Michaels. Isn't he so handsome? Look at him. He's so handsome. He's the best. Sean Michaels. I'm going to give him lots of money and make let him get away with everything. Vince, do you want to kiss Sean Michaels? No. Why? Why would you even imply such a thing? <laughs> what? You mean he's, a, he's an unreliable, psycho-alcoholic pill popper? Let's make him the champion. <laughs> but, uh, you go around, you should, you're showing kisses a woman in the crowd who goes, I'll say, Mel, that's screeching with a pal, and they run off back to their seat. And Gerald uh, Oliver pokes fun at this woman saying, Last time I saw a face like that, it was on an iodine bottle. That's <laughs> uh, Sean is kind of quite arrogant, even though he's the face at the start. You know, he keeps you know, sliding through uh, Owen's legs. The music goes outside still for the fans, even though the match has just started. You know, to quote, yeah. to take a quote from uh, from OSW review, he's, uh, he's hot dogging grandstanding. His old Sean. Oh, Sean did. He did, yeah. You know. Behind the rest back, when the ref's kind of distracted by Jim Cornette, who's rightfully complaining about the fact that Sean is grabbing Owen's hair, and I put it here, pulls Owen's hair like a good baby face. Yeah, totally. Mm. You know, and like, there were even elements in this match where I know he's a good guy and he's very talented and all that, and he has his fans, but like there are elements here of like Sean, the place of the version of Sean that we're going to see as champion, that make me think, God, no wonder all the men in Madison Square Garden were booing the fuck out of you. Because, like I said at the time, where we covered like Survivor Series '96, like he, like he, this is a young guy who all the lassies love. Who's going about who good he is in the ring, and also it's hard to argue with. Calls himself a sexy boy and everything. And like, no, no wonder all the grown men are like, I fucking hate you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that pop what Sid got when he won the title. Uh huh. You know, that was probably the best pop he's ever got in his career. I I definitely agree with that. You know, I still love the who's the man. <laughs> it was white hot in that match because the whole fucking crowd of guys cheered and the fist bumps and everything. Like who's the man? Who's the man? I mean, they're like sit, sit, sit. I mean, you mean if people talk about how much people failed to get like Roman over as of it. I mean, Sean's men, Sean's mentor was literally having a heart attack and Sean was battered with a camera while caring for him. And people still wouldn't cheer him. That's that's a fail as a baby face there. Yeah. Which is why Sean probably appreciated when we put him to heel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's let's get back to the actual match itself so so Sean acts a bit like a bit of a dick, you know. Do the arm drag, uh, so double kip up spot. Uh one hits a neck breaker at one point. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he takes control of the match. He does a lot of like submission-based holds, you know. He gets, he locks in a camel clutch, and then Daryl Lawler claims that Owen Hart came up with a sharpshooter and the camel clutch. <laughs> uh, but Sean, he keeps trying to start a comeback, but Owen keeps cutting him off. Like he fights with the camel clutch, but then he quickly like, gets caught with a knee in the gut, and Owen takes control again. Uh, yeah. Owen does a suplex. Their own get suplex kind of to the outside by Sean, who kind of hangs on the apron so he doesn't go like to the, the outside as well because like they got like the typical blue mats, but you can see the concrete like right underneath it, and like the the yeah. pads don't cover that much of the outside. 
No, I know back Glenn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Sean and Sean finds that out because Sean goes to then bring off the road, but then gets caught with a slam on the outside. Then locks in there. Uh, Reckon the ring gets Sean the sharpshooter. Which is my Referee catches Cornette as he's going to hit as he goes to uh, Sean. And also, Gerald Lord jumps to his fence like he wasn't even doing anything. But I think Sean gets caught in the, the sharpshooter twice. Uh, the fans finally start chatting, go Sean, go, or something like that. At least that's what it sounded like to me. Yeah. Which is weird. So it's much like the rest in peace chants for The Undertaker. It seemed very much of this era, but I've never heard anyone. Fan, fans after this chant that. Go, Sean, go! Go, Sean, go! <laughs> Whereas, uh, or in Madison Square Garden, that night was, kill, Sid, kill! Yes, kill, kill! <laughs> like, like some people go out to people and go to men and ask her, doesn't that sign say, die, Sean, die? No, it's German, it's the Sean, the. That's <laughs> 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 a little Simpsons reference there for you. Yeah. So Sean well, that's, that survival series ninety six, he came out to always screeching and hollering of the women, but none of the guys were screeching and hollering. No, and there were points now as you can see visible like annoyance from Sean Michaels like, why the fuck are these pricks booing me? Because you're a big Nancy and they want the big burly guy to kill you. <laughs> I was I was gonna simplify it because you're a cunt. <laughs> Because, Sean, you act like a bit of a cunt. There you go. Only all think you're gay. <laughs> they did. Uh, there were a lot of people who did think that about Sean at the time. Yeah. Especially when he did the Playboy, like the Playgirl thing with the title around his waist. Yeah, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought Vince was gay as well because of how he reacted to Sean. Yeah, he had a boner for Sean. <laughs> I mean, all I knew it, I mean, the the table rose a few inches whenever Sean is actually started to pick up on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we keep getting distracted from this match, so I don't know why, because it's the best match on the show here, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, so we get to the sharpshooter, but Sean fades over again, and then we have the insecure spot, which sends Sean flying outside, and they're like, referees, like, Vince and King are convinced that's it, because obviously that's what caused Sean to have the injury... In quotation marks. Yeah, the injury. The tractor beam. <laughs> I'm full of the references today. Oh, But he goes to say, like, so you're like, oh, yeah, that's it. He's done it. Owen's done it. And I was like, oh, well, I'm like, very cons- putting on his very concerned voice for this. Yeah. And he goes to the outside. And also, but then Owen kind of makes himself look a bit silly here. Because he doesn't take the counter at one, even though he easily could, and he would go to WrestleMania all the same. But he decides he, he to drag yeah. Sean back into the ring, go for the pin, but Sean kicks out because he's had time to recover. Then uh, Sean begins, he's coming out in a flying clothesline, and then he does like, the lies there on the mat for a bit, and then does the big kip up, which gets a big pot. Elbow drop off the top, yeah. knocks Cornet off the apron. And there's a cool sequence here where they have Sean goes for the switch in. Uh, Owen avoids it, goes for the insecurity, ducks, and then hits the sweet chain music for the win in 15 minutes. Uh, second most, lo- second longest match after the main event, I believe, here. But what I think is quite interesting is, actually, I was only watching a bit of this, some highlights the second time around to kind of refresh myself for the show after watching it. Is that I believe this is actually a weirdly similar sequence to what would end the show in Austin match at Mania 14. Yeah. Like the, the voice switch in 
and so you get it because like it's like stunner push off go for the street gen spin him around in the stunner so you know maybe Sean came up with that spot thinking back to this and thinking oh this would be a good spot uh, but then Sean brings in a child from the audience to celebrate in with him kids wearing his gear and that and then sends him in the kid back in the crowd also Sean does take so long to celebrate he's musically looping again and then we yeah. get and a thing which definitely isn't to buy time while the you can see them in the background putting together the cage. We have Todd Pettingill interviewing Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a segment which takes ages to explain what he could have in a few minutes, but again, they're trying to buy time because it's the old school blue cage and they need a lot of time to put this together. So... Mm. And, like, he talks about Shawn Michaels going to WrestleMania... And the way he, he, he says about Sean going to as if as if it's maybe some sort of like announcement that Sean's going to be the number one contender for the title, even though he won the rumble and then retained his shot just minutes before. And yeah, and then he also tells Sean to be ready and all that. And like it comes clear here, Roddy Piper doesn't like anyone because he because he, he doesn't he talks about how he's unbiased and he, he shows no favorites by equally slagging off everybody. Because you know. He says that Sean should be ready for either Diesel or Brett, and then he makes Yoko Yoko's the versus Vader official for WrestleMania, and uh, he kind of throws some digs at Yoko for his weight, and uh, he says that he says that Vader's mask looks more like a jock strap, and that he's clearly inbred because he's from the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> <laughs> and then also Jim Cornette, along with Clarence Mason, confront Roddy Piper. And then Roddy Piper basically there's a bit of a conversation, but Roddy Piper kind of just tells me fuck off. And I, I, I'll yeah. say I, I blocked out the end of the segment because it was just so boring. I tuned out. Basically, what <sighs> roads here? The cage is built. We're onto the next, onto the main event. Yeah. And the main event: Diesel taking on Brett Hitman Hart in a steel game match for the WF title. This is Diesel's like WF title rematch, basically. After he lost to Brett at Survivor Series, and he's been annoyed that he didn't get a automatic shot, he was angry about the taker kind of stepping in front of him in a queue for a title shot. All that, all yeah. this has been done really to build the Diesel versus Undertaker Mania Twelve, and an interesting kind of stat here said that uh, Bret Hart has never lost a cage match at this point is what's said on commentary, which is something I didn't really think of, but. He hadn't actually been in that many, to my knowledge, because the only other one I can think of is when we talked about SummerSlam 94 and he had that one with uh, with Owen. Yeah. I think he had one with Isaac Youngham, uh, but like, it's not as if Brett was often getting in steel cage matches. Not really, no. And uh, do you actually know when the first time Brett would lose a steel cage match? Um, If I'm correct, was it the one that was on Raw where he went and lost his shit? Yeah, the first raise in the goddamn war for it. This is bullshit. Yeah, that, that one, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the right Raw before. And ironically, much like Undertaker gets involved later here, Undertaker got involved in that here because like it was Taker slamming the door in his face because Taker wanted yeah. to keep his match with Sid for the title, whereas Austin was trying to help Brett because he wanted their match to be for the title. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There's a wee fit for you. It would be like a year later that uh, Brett would got, lose a steel cage uh, match. Yeah, but you got the whole sort of the slowly but surely 
proper heel turn of Sean's character at that point as well, because you remember, like, Austin had come out to try and help Brett, Undertaker slammed, like, was it to try and make sure Sid retained. Aye, because, like, Brett was about to get out to the door, and Undertaker slammed the door in his face to keep him in while, while Sid got back up. Yeah, but through all this, like, when, when Brett started going nuts and, you know, throwing fists and that, mm-hmm. Sean came out and Sean was just kind of standing there. Mm-hmm. But looking like he was going to do something, so you're like, hmm, what's going on here, you know? Yeah. No, actually, it was a decent amount. Like, I don't want to compare it to the last time I saw Brett in a cage, which was against Owen, but obviously there was a different difference in quality. Here, like there was a very similar beat because like it seemed to be very similar. Like, he's gonna climb out the cage, or he drags him back in. You go for the door, or he's climbing back in. Yeah, that seemed to be the main thing because like there's no referee inside the cage uh, for these no. kind of games. The only way to win is by escape. Brett did take at least one of his famous turnbuckle sternum shots. Yeah, he was really fond of doing that, which is is weird because like. He always made the whole ring just rattle when he did that. I think Owen occasionally would do that as well. Occasionally, but when Brett done it, he always winced when he done it because he made it look like. Because you know, like so, you know, like weird like Kofi's kind of chest is kind of looks like it caves anyway because then he got like a peck injury that never properly healed. You expect Brett? Yeah. You'd, you'd expect Brett's chest to end up looking like that with the amount of times he's taken that spot. <laughs> true, true. Well, you know, Diesel. Like it's not like us like the the other matches where like the face takes control at first and then the heel starts taking over for the middle portion. Like Diesel takes control quite early on because obviously he's a bigger guy. Uh, yeah. Like throwing Brett in the corner, he does that big spot. Every time Brett seems to be getting like over to the other side, it's always by the hair that Diesel kind of drags him back in. And like, yeah. like you think Brett's at a disadvantage because Diesel doesn't really have to clear it up that much to stop him because like Diesel's that tall, he could probably just like just weep reach out a little bit and just pull him back in because he's like seven foot tall. Yeah. Yeah. Brett's not, they, they do this whole thing where they're fighting, trying to get out the door and uh, he tries to like pull Diesel back in to try and get him in the sharpshooter. Uh, they have that spot which always seems to happen in these kind of blue, classic blue steel cage matches where one guy's going to climb over but then they see the other guy's coming through. One guy's going to go over the top but the other guy's crawling through the door. The guy climbing over sees the other guy and so just races down and trying to stop like no Does he does the big dive? Yeah. yeah Brett goes through his huge kind of trots you know, elbow off the middle rope, does the bulldog at one point. Also like what you said, he does the big turnbuckle spot. He does uh, some big chops on Diesel and but then Diesel like thumbs him in the eye, which isn't the kind of thing you expect like, a giant to do, but uh, I don't yeah. think at any point does Diesel, Diesel really at any point hit the chat now? Because I don't think he does. No, because you see... You see... I have an anecdote in regards to that. See, I know I know the one you're talking about. I know, obviously, I mentioned part of this to you as well, but, like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't realise that the thing about the chat knife played into it in this way, but go on, you go on your anecdote. I think we may have mentioned it in the past. It was about Diesel's chat knife. Mm-hmm. Diesel had suggested for during the match that Brett take the jackknife, but still he wins. But Brett went and argued like a little bitch about it and was going, Oh, no, I can't take the jackknife. Well, they look weak, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And we hummed and hawed 
that they were pointing the Undertaker, who at the time usually didn't say anything too much, was quite stoic, just jumped up out of his chair and said, Motherfucker, not everything's about you. Yeah. And he like about like making the fucking match good, you fucking prima donna bitch. And like it wasn't just about that, but the thing was also the fact that Taker also gets involved here, but the fact that uh, it followed on from the fact that Diesel had done the same in his match with Taker. So Brett didn't also yeah. like the idea of two of his main event title defenses right up on the road to WrestleMania ending in this way where he kind of gets help and someone interferes because obviously he didn't, cause he's thinking about his credibility going up against Sean who had all this momentum and also that plus yeah. a jack knife but yeah that eventually took Claudio Undertaker to lose his shit but like yeah it acting as if you didn't have a good tail defence as champion like in, that, in this particular I mean, like you had that match with Bulldog where you got the blood and even the the buddy ECW smacks in the front row were cheering for you. Yeah. But, like, even then, like, it doesn't take that... The jackknife spot, like, if Diesel's about you get out, but it just looks like Brett's just struggling, and, like, it's just can't get him back into the ring, and that's when Taker gets involved. Whereas if Taker had, like... If Diesel had done the jackknife, that would explain why Brett was out and couldn't stop Diesel getting out the door. Which would have made a lot more sense, and they could have even done a spot where, like, Diesel was trying to climb out and he kind of turned a counter and they had jackknife somehow. But they could have done it made it look really creative, so it kind of it does not paint Brett in the best of light for refusing to take the jackknife. It doesn't. It makes it it makes it gives all the shit people say about him a lot more credibility in my opinion. So like what's actually happening is uh, they're both kind of get at the door kind of have a scramble but Diesel's managed to get get like further out of the door than Brett. But then Taker comes out from under the ring and starts dragging uh, Diesel underneath, which manages get Brett manages to get over him and crawl out through the door, and Brett retains the title. And then like Brett's music hits for, or actually I don't know, Brett's music doesn't even hit. Brett gets the belt, disappears. Diesel scrambles out from under the back from the wee hole thing that he crawled through, and uh, runs out the ring like scared of the Undertaker. Taker climbs up on the turnbuckle. I don't think he's wearing the Phantom of the Opera mask anymore. Like it's just this really long stare down between Diesel and between Diesel and Taker that ends the show. There's not even that weird like there's usually a bit of a re- highlight recap of the show to the in your house theme at the end. None of that. Just Diesel and Taker staring at each other. Yeah. Show goes off air. Also, that would that would be the end of in your house six. Also, I'd like to argue that Diesel is the rightful winner of this match. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know I know why? Because you got to get out. Because you got to get out the cage, and your feet had to touch the floor. Diesel was dragged under the ring. He's got longer legs. His feet would have touched the floor, right long before Brett got out through the door. And hey, you're, I never thought of that. You're right. And exhibit exhibit B, Your Honor, uh, No Way Out 2005. Big Show chokeslams JBL through the ring, and then he gets out through the door. But then he said, and, new, and still jam because JBL, because he's on the floor, manages to crawl out under the ring, under the apron, and escape the cage. So JBL retained the title. Prosecu- yeah. Prosecution rests, Your Honour. Damn right, I agree. Yes. It's one of the few times that people, like Kevin Nash, was legitimately done wrong. For, for all, all the people say about him. On all counts, have been a bastard. <laughs> Hashtag justice for Diesel. Aye, fucking Bret Hart. I knew he was a dick. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, having said that, you said you're kind of underwhelmed by 
in your house. So, yeah, give any final thoughts you have and before give me your overall thumb placement up, well, down, like in the middle. Like say, my overall rating for it, if we're giving it an out of five stars kind of rating, mm-hmm. I'd say between a three and a half to a four, and I'd give it purely because, much like you, my favourite match on the card was the Sean Owen match. The main event was no bad at all. The rest of it was kind of meh. You know? Mm-hmm. So, you can't have a pay-per-view, regardless of it being in your house, whatever, and only have two matches on the card that are worth anything. Yeah. So you said that. You said what it would be if you were to get an F5, but would your thumb be like up, down, middle? Oh, I'd say middle. I'd say middle. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle as well, maybe maybe close to a middling to up because it wasn't the worst in your house. I did feel like that had some issues with it. Like, the crowd match was, like... Stupid. Was stupid. The, the stipulation was stupid, but, like, these two guys did their best to make it well, work for them as best they could, which yeah. shows how good of a work, or good the workers they were. Somehow, the Joe's Day managed to get somewhat over the crowd by fighting Triple H, even though the match was very slow. Yeah. Yoko Bulldog was more of an angle than anything. Sean Owen was great. And for a cage match where the only way you can win by is Fiesky, which sometimes I struggle with depending on who's involved, Diesel and Brett gave her a good account of a cage match, even though they repeated some of the spots. At least it didn't go nearly 40 minutes like the, the Owen Brett match, even though that was much superior as a match given the story it had. But. And I've got to say as well, for an early cage match, considering what we would ultimately get from like cage and Hell in a Cell matches, uh-huh. for an early cage match, it was right up there, you know. Part part of the thing I sometimes like disagree with the idea of like, oh, it's a cage match. But the only way you can win is by escape. Is that surely back in the day when they entered just cage matches, the whole point was so the person who was healing the situation couldn't escape. So surely a cage match where the situation is you can only win by pinfall and not by escape, as is really and also that's why I disagree like sometimes like like the idea of like the heel can't escape in a cage worked back in the day I don't think it works in modern era because people can get involved in the cage which is why eventually the hell and cell had to be invented because like people somehow still get, get keep getting in this cage you know what this cage could re- use a roof but what happens when the wrestlers break through the wall of the cage well then we then we, well then they invented the elimination chamber you know we evolve with our cage matches Oh. Ah, see, somebody there. You can't cages within cages within cages. Yes, and that's how you get. That's how you end up with the kennel from hell. Oh, good Christ! <laughs> I think the highest um, I could go with like a, a five star, if I was given that, would be three and a half to maybe three and three quarters. Like I like Sean and Owen and the cage match, but I don't think the strength of those matches is enough to bring up to more than four stars. So three and Three quarters is the highest I can go. Uh, but yeah, middle in the middle, but kind of towards and up because I can see what they were going for. In terms of like a stock gut to Mania, it served its purpose for the most part, especially for it those who. Its purpose. Yeah, especially for like Brett. Well, I'm, I'm de- Sorry to cut off again, but I'm definitely at like, I'm neither up nor down, I'm a definite middle. But I think it's given the hit that like also we're building to Brent and Sean and Diesel and Taker, and so for the purposes of like setting those matches there, because Vince very much wanted Diesel Taker to be like, be like the semi main, the second most important match after Brett and Sean. So, for the purposes of getting those guys to where they needed to be, and I know they had big plans for Vader and Yoko that didn't go quite to plan, but 
for the idea of yeah. like, presenting their main players to getting to where they need to be for Mania. They kind of they did what they could to the best of their ability, even though it didn't make make for the most entertaining show of the year. Yeah. And uh, with that, I think we really concisely uh, summed up in your house six, and I'm looking forward to a couple weeks time where we're doing we're going to do Impact next week in the lead-up. Because that will be right before No Surrender, and I'm sure there'll be stuff to talk about there. But the following week, we're going to do in your... No, we're going to do From the Vault, second edition of that. We're going to hopefully be more regular after that. But we're going to have WrestleMania 12. I've never watched the show in Phil. Never watched the Iron Man match. And I'm sure Paul will have a lot of thoughts about it. Because he loves this show, and he'll probably want to know what I think of it. I really, I really do. I, I, I think... You'll be pleasantly surprised by the Iron Man match. It's phenomenally good, I think. I think given the process of how I usually watch shows for like purposes of review, like watching it, maybe occasionally pause it and then write some notes and then play it again. My plan for when we, I'd watch WrestleMania 2 was like watch the rest of the card right before the Iron Man match, turn it off, and then watch the Iron Man match as a separate viewing. So to I help, think you should. You don't want to take any breaks in the Iron Man match. Yeah. I have heard some really interesting stories about how they put together the Iron Man match, which I'll save there. And also, I'll talk a lot bit about the contract situation regarding Diesel and Razor Ramon because it, this isn't the last time they appear. They will appear. Both of them will be on the next in your house after me. And they're good friends, but are enemies. But they are yeah. an interesting situation with regards to where their status is with the WWF. And I'll go into more detail there. And also, it features one of the most unique WrestleMania matches of all time, the uh, Hollywood Backlot Brawl. Poor oh, gold dust. Oh, also, something we didn't mention, I wanted to mention an anecdote about Steve Austin in the Rumble uh, in 86, where he accidentally got eliminated, and he was actually made yeah, in the final four. Yeah, one of the final four. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, like, he apparently was making a clothesline by Fatu, like, but skin the cat and get back in but I think the ropes were a bit too slippery and he got too much momentum and he flew out and as he was on his way he had to quietly say to Sean like I'm not going to be able to do the, the final force but so I'm assuming he was maybe the one closely out by Sean right before the end sequence yeah yeah I didn't uh, know about this social situation until recently because I was watching a video about it about top 10 like Rumble and Sailor Times guys weren't meant to get eliminated and uh, the the joke in the video was like and I'm assuming that Austin chewed out Fatu so much that he held a grudge, and three years later he would run him over for the rock. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which would be funny if that was what he revealed to be the actual reason he ran Austin over for. Yeah, but you know, and and in terms of like talking about Austin, mm-hmm. interestingly, I was watching on YouTube. It was one of his, uh, you know, his the podcast he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was watching the one he did with Mark Henry. Yeah. And they're talking about how much of a dickhole Ahmed Johnston is. Alright. Is that, is that like his regular podcast or is that his Broken Skull like Sessions one? I think it's the Broken Skull Sessions one. Alright. Because I've seen Henry's on that. But, there you go. You know, I, I never ever did know that Ahmed Johnston was such a dickhead. I mean, I think he was brought in with such hype given his recovery mainly because he was just a muscular guy. So I'm assuming he had probably a bit of an attitude. Yeah, no, apparently there was one time when he was fighting Farouk, you know, Ron Simmons. Mm-hmm. And he, he gave him such a kick that he lacerated a kidney. Put him out for nine months. Mm-hmm. And 
let's just say Ron Simmons didn't take it all too well. Mm-hmm. Very mad by the time he came back and proceeded to go into a match with him and kick the living shit out of him. So Ahmed lacerated fruits, couldn't he? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, sorry, I, I thought you said Ahmed got lacerated because it wouldn't surprise me because Ahmed was always getting injured. But no, he, he fucked up Rook's kidney and put him out for nine months. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Um, so um, when Ron Simmons came back, he went into a match with him and broke three of his ribs. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that Ahmed was such a dick because, you know, like he's such a prominent guy, actually, when you have to look at this era, and yet he's one of the few people who's like so prominent but never really talked about by WWE, and probably this is the reason why. Yeah. Now, apparently, he definitely had an ego... Because, mm. yeah. like, what's interesting about Austin, as I say, we haven't actually talked about him in terms of this in your gaff series. He will be after, we will after WrestleMania, but we'll be talking yeah. about him uh, as the ringmaster. And this is really like, because the ringmaster is only known by that name for a short time, so this is like one of the last few times he's called the ringmaster. And so, following yeah. that, following WrestleMania and the rest of this in your gaff series, we'll see the slow transition from. Just Steve Austin to then Austin three sixteen and then the Austin that we know today. Yeah, because it wasn't the ringmaster character the the last inductee into the million dollar corporation. Yeah, he was like because like the night after in year five, I mentioned that he teases ninety six will be the year the the year of the million dollar title, and he announced a new million dollar champion was coming, and then Steve Austin made his debut shortly after. So yeah, he was the million dollar champion. Uh, and yeah. so on the last million dollar corporation I was like because DiBiase shortly before King of the Ring uh, leaves the company and then a few months later shows up in WCW and so I think once DiBiase was gone we get like we get hints of, hints of proper Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah mm-hmm. and like apparently the only reason he was really given that role was because like Ringmaster I think was one of the gimmicks they wanted to give somebody for ages like they had occasionally, like Pritchard talks about a couple of things they had that he could never find the right guy for. Uh, like they said, like I, I don't know if somebody said that they wanted to give him it or somebody said he would be better for it. But uh, apparently, Chris Candido's name was thrown around for the ringmaster gimmick. But and also, yeah. like Bruce Pritchard mentioned, that they had an idea for a character just called the Sandman, and he basically just said like he would just be like a good wrestler whose finisher would be basically the sleeper hold. That's the whole thing yeah. about Sandman. Which well, probably probably explains why they never end up doing it because it sounds a bit crap. But anyway, we've I've rambled yeah. on enough. I should be wrapping this thing up. Remember, I should remind you all to follow us on Twitter at sbrambling, like our Facebook facebook.com or slash ramble podcast. Uh, follow me on Twitter at scumcode eight eighty six. Follow us our social media channels for the links to all the Android podcasts and sites where we belong. That's Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, whatever platform you prefer. There, use a wee like, rate, and review, or whatever. You know, be, make sure it's a nice comment. You know, but yeah, what nice people. And while you're there, check out our back catalogue of all past in your gif uh, ones. If you weirdly the first one you're listening to, listen back to our old, our old uh, Impact podcast before our next one, and check out uh, the first episode of the From the Vaults. You've just suffered on 1982, and I'll work out a schedule make this more of a regular thing with uh, from the vault going forward but we were just holding off until this point because we thought it was a good idea to position this episode from the vault between In Your House 6 and In Your 7 in terms of our reviews because it kind of all flows into one very nicely it really does it really does
Mm. And I, w- I will say it's been a pleasure as always, Scott. It has. I was looking forward to talking about this one. I'm glad we finally got rent it. Yeah, it was a good show. It was. It was a good show. And you know what? Uh, I think we've played his music in before in the past, but I think given that we talked a lot about him, even though we thought of him being a bit of a dick, but he is on his way to one of his big career moments at WrestleMania. Should we, I was going to say, should we play Sean's or would Sean's be more fitting to play at WrestleMania? Sean's been more fitting at WrestleMania. Let's play Diesel's. Mm, Diesel doesn't actually have the best music out. <laughs> eh, Alright. I'm trying to think. Just, just for fun's sake, then, let's play Razor's music. Yeah, let's play Razor Ramon's music. Alright, well, we'll see you all next week for Impact and then the following week for WrestleMania 12. Um, I mean, I'm very, I'm, I'm very excited about doing WrestleMania 12 because if you, I dare, you will love it, Scott. You I, will love it. If I dare disagree with Paul, that may be the last podcast we ever do together. Stay tuned for that. Yeah, uh, I'll have to slap you in the head for that one if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. This is great. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Stay safe and enjoy the music of the bad guy. Yeah.